Welcome dog moms and dads to our show where we discuss the everyday joys and challenges of pet parenting. I'm your host, Jen. And I'm Ashley. And this is a dog mom podcast presented by Zippy Paws. Yay. The episode that I have literally been dreading since I agreed to record it. Yes, it is Stella's story. (laughs) Yeah, I think... uh, my only goal is to hopefully make it through without crying. I don't know how optimistic we are that that's going to happen, but we're going to try. I think everyone at this point who has really listened to our podcast at all knows a little bit about Stella. She was my first dog. She was my heart dog. Real. Well, I struggle actually saying she was my heart dog, and we can get into that more later, but I don't know. Like I, I think that every dog ends up being somebody's heart dog. But for 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 this purpose, we'll say she was my heart dog. She was the first dog I ever had, and I waited a very long time for her. But she had a unique story because she ended up passing from canine lymphoma, which we'll get into in a little bit, and she had a very a very full life, but a very intricate journey through chemotherapy, and she touched a lot of lives and had a an interesting path, I would say. But we've actually gotten a lot of questions. I've alluded to her being sick and her passing. This was a couple years ago. And you guys have reached out to us with a lot of feedback on some people had questions on canine cancer. Other people had questions on grieving the loss of a dog. And then somebody else asked us, how do you know when it's time to get another dog? I am correct, right? Yeah, so we'll touch upon all those questions in this episode. And just a disclaimer, it's going to be probably a heavier a heavier episode. So if you have, in fact, just lost a dog, maybe proceed with caution. I don't know. It could be helpful, I suppose. I just don't want to depress any more people than we have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think um, the best place to start really is... With Stella's story, she was the absolute love of my life. I rescued her when she was about two and a half months old. She slept on my chest until she got so big she was physically suffocating me and then moved to the end of my bed on my feet, which made me very hot when I sleep. And anybody who knows me knows that I can't stand being hot. We were just talking about this. We were just talking about this. So the fact that this dog was able to sleep on my feet for roughly seven years should tell you something. She went to work with me at almost all of my jobs. She was a registered therapy dog. So she came everywhere. This dog went to Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's and traveled and really my best friend. And the closest thing I've ever had to a child. Well, I don't know. Bjorn's pretty darn close too, but... (laughs) He's a big mama's boy. He is. But Stella was just, she was that dog that you couldn't walk her anywhere without somebody just smiling at her and wanting to talk to her. She was a good, good girl. And I can still remember how it felt when she was six years old finding out that she had lymphoma. And it was it was kind of just a random, a random thing. She started out one morning just not wanting to walk down the stairs in our house and I had kind of chalked it up honestly to her just being lazy 
And I joke that she likingly, likely had learned that from me. I'm super lazy. I'm not a morning person. And walking really quickly turned into refusing to go down the stairs. And a couple hours later, she was limping, which was just very out of character for her. She was a very energetic, when she wanted to be, pup. And I figured she'd hurt her legs. And it made sense in my brain at the time because I was telling everyone, oh, I need to take Stella to the vet. Remember how I told you she wasn't walking down the stairs? I think she fell and she hurt herself. So she's afraid. That's why she's not walking down the stairs. Seems simple enough. I had felt around her leg for some type of clue or any indication of what might possibly be going on. And I found out that her knee was swollen. Easy. Problem solved. We'd go to the vet, get an x-ray. She'd be good as new right? But it turns out that it wasn't her knee that was swollen. It was a lymph node. And at that point, the vet told us, oh, she's probably got an infection. Lymph nodes swell just like people. When they have an infection, we're going to run some tests and we'll come back to you. Comes back to us in a couple hours. Uh, well, doesn't look like she has any infection. We can't understand why her lymph nodes are swollen. We're going to recommend that you talk to an oncologist. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, excuse me? And at that point, sitting in a waiting room, you start Googling, which is the absolute worst thing you can do. And I'm reading all these things, canine cancer, oncologist, and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm a pretty positive person, I would say. People on my team might disagree. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about, I'm just kidding. Overall, I'm a pretty optimistic person. And I told myself, okay, cancer is the worst case scenario. We're going to figure out what's going on. So we were referred to the Angel Care Cancer Center at California Veterinary Specialists in Ontario. You will hear me speak very highly of them multiple times, probably throughout this conversation. And went there, ran some tests, and found that she did, in fact, have cancer. She had T-cell lymphoma. Well, actually, let's go back a little bit further just so that you kind of have a, a better idea of what of what diagnosing cancer in dogs looks like, at least for lymphoma. I can only speak from a lymphoma standpoint because that's that's what she had and that's what I'm educated in. Not, not actually educated. I've just spent a lot of time dealing with it. Um, we found out that she had lymphoma and the doctor at the time, Dr. Heller, came to us and said, she definitely has lymphoma. Now what we need to do is we need to run a test that tells us what type of lymphoma she has. There's B cell lymphoma and T cell lymphoma. And we didn't know which one is which. And he, mm-hmm. he didn't promise us that it would be B cell, but he said that a good majority of the dogs that come in with lymphoma have B cell. And we caught it very early they almost laughed at me because the her lymph node was swollen so, so minorly. They were kind of shocked that I caught it. I had to show them where it was when we went in. And he explained to me that it was good because we wanted her to have B-cell lymphoma. T-cell, also known as quote-unquote terrible cell lymphoma, was a much more aggressive form, the most aggressive form of canine lymphoma. So I started researching B-cell, the the life expectancies are much, much longer. They can live up to five, six years. And she was six years old at the time. So a 12-year life expectancy, I was okay with that. Comes back and 
another punch in the gut. Oh, actually, she has T-cell lymphoma. So it was a, a very emotional 48 hours. It happened very, very fast. And from there, we were given the options based on how aggressively we really wanted to fight for her life. So we knew we had, I believe they presented us with three options. This was again in 2016, 2017. So things may have changed. Obviously, if you are going through this, I am not the the end resource for you, but this was, this is my experience. And they had let us know, well, you have three options that you can do. You can treat her with prednisone and it will keep the swelling down and you'll probably get a month, which was just oh mind gosh. blowing. And it was, it was crazy because she, her, she was limping. Her leg was, was swollen, but otherwise there wasn't really that much change. She seemed really healthy. So the idea that she could deteriorate in a month was just crazy. I couldn't wrap my head around it. So, and obviously prednisone only off the table. Then he told us that we could do a combination of radiation therapy with the prednisone that might get us a couple more months, not guaranteed, also not covered by the insurance that we had for her. Still a pretty pricey option. And our third option that we had was chemotherapy. It was a full chemotherapy treatment, just like humans go through when they have lymphoma. And really, it wasn't a question. It was, what what do I need to sell? What do I need to get rid of? How much is this going to cost? Just do it, right? Because there was the chance that it could put her into remission for years at a time. And with the lymphoma treatment, 99% of dogs are never cured. I don't actually, I'm now that I think about it, they never are completely cured. It's called going into remission. So mm, okay. it can go into remission for a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years. It can never come back, but it's still always considered in remission. Mm-hmm. So we decided that chemotherapy was the only option. And lucky us, our insurance didn't cover anything. I think that's definitely worth worth noting. It is heartbreaking, but it's not an option that everybody has. I don't want to give too many definitive numbers just again every situation is different the cancer center that we had taken Stella to housed two of the premier veterinary oncologists in the country they also spoke internationally so they were very very accredited our initial quote for her 20 20 week treatment was upwards of 10 grand and that seemed daunting I look back I look back at it now and as as Nico and I are looking to buying a house and what what 10 grand can do and I didn't bat an eye it was okay I have a salary I can downsize my condo there's credit cards I'll make it work and I think it's it's important to take into consideration for anybody who is going through this that if that is the option that you want to take, make sure that you are committed because it's not it's not just that upfront 10 grand. So that $10,000 is broken up. I mean, it's 20 weeks, but it's broken up over the course. It's a weekly thing. So Stella had chemotherapy every week, but 
it was also dependent on how she was doing. So some weeks it would be a $700 to $1,000 charge. Some weeks her blood cell count just wasn't going to allow her to have chemotherapy. Again, just just like people that go through this. They, they're constantly running tests. There's constant vet checkups. But what I think that we didn't take into consideration or that I didn't take into consideration is that it's not just the chemotherapy. There are initially every week there was a side effect that I was certain meant that she was getting worse. I was certain it meant she wasn't she wasn't doing well. And so that's another $200 trip to the emergency room and or her regular vet even. And then you have to take into consideration that this doesn't include maintenance drugs. So you've got Um, And I was actually really shocked that I remembered these, but you've got the metronidazole for diarrhea. You've got metoclopramide and serenia for nausea. She was taking denimerin for her liver. She was taking DHA acids. And these are all like $60, $70 charges each week. And it was something that we were committed to because she never showed signs of, of feeling discomfort or you know, she was never in pain. I think that had she been, we probably would have reevaluated, but her team did a fantastic job, but it, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a very stressful time. Luckily she, she went, she went through everything just with a smile on her face. I think one of my biggest regrets is that so many people that are so prominent in my life now, so Nico wasn't around for this. You weren't around for this. Like I didn't work at Zippy Paws when Stella was going through any of any of her cancer. But none of the people that are so important to me now got to meet her. And I think that everybody now would just have absolutely loved her. That is one thing. It does make me really sad. I think she and Birdie would have gotten along so yeah. well. Um, I can see that. She was just always, always smiling. And it's also worth noting that this isn't this isn't a sob story for me. I think what was very very eye-opening is we took her in every Tuesday and Thursday for different types of chemotherapy. It was they did a really great job really personalizing it to her. So if something wasn't working, Dr. Heller or Dr. Ogilvy there would change it up. They're like, "Okay, let's try something else." But the most eye-opening thing was how many dogs were in that waiting room every single day that we went in there. I mean, 20 to 30 to 40 at a time, we're getting treatment for canine cancer. And it was it was something that I always knew existed, but it was just not on my radar. Mm-hmm. And then you see so many people. And the good side of this is that some of them are cancerous tumors that can be removed and that's the end of it. Some of them are, are like the lymphomas where, you know, the, the prognosis isn't, guaranteed it's not usually good but just so so many dogs and again that that was just so eye-opening to me because I didn't I didn't realize it that's not something you think of when you get a dog and I guess something to think about it's a lot more prominent than I ever knew but off that tangent we did have a great team I I say that so many times and anytime I I talk about her story I just the from the nurses to the admittance staff to the doctors, they were just fantastic. Uh, Dr. Heller worked with us on a nutritional change, too. That was another kind of key learning experience for me is that cancer, 
like myself, ironically, loves carbs and loves sugar. <laughs> I mean, who are we to judge, I, right? I didn't know that. What does that um, mean when cancer loves carbs, carbs and sweets? So what I was told is that it, the cancer cells feed on that. So mm-hmm. you kind of want to starve the can. Well, you're not kind of. You want to starve the cancer cells. So you try to remove as much of that from the diet as possible. And the particular oncologist that we were working with was also of the impression that it feeding dogs a less carb-heavy diet could potentially help avoid it. Obviously, they don't know what causes it in dogs. They know certain breeds are predisposed to it, but kibble is very, very... It's a very touchy thing because it's not regulated. So I I had kind of, in the middle of, of Stella's cancer, really just dove into... Uh, a black hole, honestly, of, of what to feed your dog and what is good. At that point for Stella, it was too late to really feed her a raw diet, which is essentially what we feed Bjorn now, based on what I learned. She couldn't do a raw diet because her immune system was so depleted from the chemotherapy, obviously, that giving her raw chicken and even the slightest bit of salmonella could be really hazardous for her. But we transitioned her off of her kibble and she, the spoiled little thing that she was, started eating three freshly cooked meals a day. <laughs> I mean, she ate either organic steak or chicken breasts and she had green beans and Brussels sprouts. They were fried in coconut oil or grilled in coconut oil. And what they, what they tell you is a lot of times the chemotherapy can take their appetite away. And while you don't want to to feed the cancer, you want to make sure they're eating. It's very, very important. So Dr. Heller was always very open with me about find what she wants to eat and feed it to her. If she has an appetite, that is a very good sign. So little girl got coconut oil cooked Brussels sprouts and steak every night. I actually think I have pictures of it somewhere because it was so ridiculous. And by the time usually that I was done in my day, especially towards the end of, of her cancer treatments, it was, it was give her medicine all out. Like there was a point where I was waking up at one o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning to give her medicine. She had to have medicine at nine, 11, one, and then that night. And so between that and cooking her the meals that she needed, by the time she was done eating, I was so tired. I would usually just go to in and out <laughs> She was, she was easily, easily eating better than I was. And occasionally she did get a little bit of brown rice for anyone out there actually taking notes. Um, Stella did love her carbs. (laughs) She may or may not have gotten potato chips frequently before she got sick. So in order to kind of add a little bit of substance, brown rice was the, the recommended carb that I was told. But other than that, honestly, until the very end of her chemotherapy and she went through a year of it she went into remission twice she was able to test a newly approved drug for canine lymphoma which i am still very proud of it's it's either tenovia or tanovea i always want to say tenovia because the princess diaries fan in me comes out and i'm pretty certain that's incorrect but it was a drug that was I believe created in a Colorado university meant for human trials. And I, for whatever reason, it's been a couple years. So forgive me, this could be slightly, slightly off, but 
it ended up going to dog clinical trials first and Stella didn't have a lot of success with it, but there were other dogs in her trial group that did really, really well. So that's also very exciting thinking that she even played a small role in helping other dogs never have to go through this Uh, because she honestly, she, her time going through chemotherapy wasn't terrible. It sounds like she was on an arsenal of medicine, which she really was, but she didn't lose any hair. She was very happy. Her appetite didn't go away. It was, it was exhausting for, for me, I think. And it was probably more exhausting just knowing that statistics are, I, I believe in statistics. I think you always have to have hope when you're going through something like this, but Similar to what Nick had said in the episode where we were talking about Kramer, the writing's kind of on the wall, right? And he had that really rare chance of losing hope, but keeping that glimmer and it still comes to light. And with Stella, I think we all knew the road that we were on, no matter how hard we fought, was like eventually going to end up probably not the way we wanted it. Uh, but she actually did a fantastic job. Her medical staff loved her 100%. I still talk to a couple of them. We've done a couple events through Zippy Paws, and I think we did an event where we did a sidewalk sale with them beginning of January. I'm yeah, losing seems like my so track long of time. Ago. Yeah, January, February, January, earlier and, this year. Uh, yeah, earlier this year. And I got to see Dr. Heller again and some of the staff was like, oh, you're Stella's mom. And I I know how many dogs they see. So for her to have made such an impact does make me really happy. Uh, but one of the things that they always told us, they were very, very good at communicating pretty much everything that we needed to know. They told us how to handle things they said make sure that you have a plan so that if the time comes you know how it's going to work know if you want us to come to your house if you want in the event that it's time for her to say goodbye if you need us to come to your house or if you want to come here have have plans in place and Mm -hmm. one of the questions that I asked early on especially as you're embarking down this road of chemotherapy chemotherapy sounds terrible it sounds daunting and it's not something that I necessarily wanted to put her through but they assured me that dogs handle it better and so my next question following that up was how will I know when it's time obviously Stella can't can't send me a text message and say hey I'm freaking tired and Dr. Heller always let always told me that she was gonna let me know and I I very, very rarely, well, I think this is probably the one thing I disagree with Dr. Heller on, and he's he, he never steered me wrong. I had always been informed that Stella was going to let me know when it was finally time to say goodbye. They were super candid, super, super candid. She'd let us know she was tired. She wouldn't be happy. She wouldn't be the same dog. And my realization was honestly a little bit different. It had been a week of really difficult breathing for her towards the end. The tumors were spreading from her lymph nodes to her lung. It was it was going everywhere, but they were going to her lungs and she was just breathing heavy, super heavy breathing. It was like 
an overweight dog that runs too much and just, and it was heartbreaking. And we had been in, in pretty close communication with them and they had told us that there were a couple medicines they wanted to try um, in the coming weeks if it didn't subside. Sometimes it can just be a side effect of the chemo. But week of really difficult breathing for her. Otherwise, she was eating fine. One of my best friends, Erica, was in town and Stella was having just an absolute blast hanging out with her. She had fallen asleep with a ball in her mouth that night. And I had helped her get up the stairs around 1 a.m. to go to sleep. And I woke up the next morning. It was a Friday. And Stella was, again, never a fan of being woken up. So I had kind of changed my schedule to work around her. I would never turn the light on when I woke up in the master bedroom. I would just go, I'd stumble around and go straight to the bathroom and then turn the light on because we didn't want to wake up Her Majesty, right? <laughs> and I turn on the light in the bathroom and I hear that she's breathing heavy. And I was like, wait, what is she doing awake? And I will, to this day, never forget what I saw because I, I instantly knew that that was it. Like she was very happy. She was smiling at me. She's wagging her tail and she is absolutely covered in blood. It sounds really horrific. It's honestly not as horrific as it sounds. It looked horrific too. She had gotten a tumor in her nose that had burst giving her a bloody nose. So she's sneezing. She's blood is everywhere. And there she is, happy as a clam, smiling her tail, trying to roll over for belly rubs. And it was kind of at that point that I knew that she wasn't going to let me know. She was just that dog that was going to be happy until the very end. And it was kind of up to me to make a decision. And that decision was honestly not about me at all. And it, this is going to sound horribly macabre. But I actually took a picture of her in that moment. It's no one else has ever seen it. I don't look at it often, but I took it to remind myself that I did the right thing. And it's something that I think is very common for anyone that decides to to put an animal down, especially after they've been fighting for so long to have that regret. And I'd say I've probably looked at it maybe five or six times since because you always wonder, right? Like, should I have should I have given up? But it was a very clear indication that it was time. And my poor girlfriend is downstairs. She was in town from Kansas City, Missouri. I hadn't seen her in years. So I woke her up. I called my work to let them know that I wasn't going to be in. I called Stella's team and I said, hey, we're going to be in later in the morning. It's time. And they knew they started getting things ready. And I called my mom and brother who were already at work and left work immediately and they came over and they brought her donuts. It's something that she'd always wanted. She had toy donuts. I'm pretty certain she had Zippy Paws donuts. <laughs> I didn't know who you guys were at the time, but her registered middle name was Donut. She loved donuts. So she got a dozen donuts and we spent one last morning together and I didn't realize my girlfriend was doing this at the time, but she actually snapped some photos of us and sent them to me long after. She goes, I hope you're not upset. I, I wasn't trying to infringe, but I, I felt like this was an important moment for you because anyone, anyone who knew me knew that she was so much more than a dog for me. She was someone that I had wanted for a really long time. She was my child. 
And so that that realization and having to make that decision is is so, so hard, right? And I mean, I think that it's something that you need to remember as well. And I tell everyone this who will, you know, give me half an ear. When, when you have a dog, you are their sole protector. It is up to you to help make the decisions that are best for them. And something that I always kind of had to balance in my head was, is this chemotherapy about extending her life or is it about keeping me happy? And we didn't think she was going to make it to her seventh birthday. And she made it a week and a half after she had a huge seventh birthday. Honestly, this dog probably had more people come to her birthday party than I have ever had come to mine. She had toys. She got to eat turkey. She was just very, very happy. So (sighs) saying, saying goodbye. And this is, this kind of obviously goes hand in hand with when I, I knew it was time, but it's just one of those times that having a dog just absolutely sucks. Yeah. Not gonna sh- not gonna sugarcoat it, a hundred percent. It just blows, and knowing that we were walking into the hospital for the last time, to this day, gives me a lump in my throat when I think about it. And I, I knew that the road that we were on would eventually lead to this, and I had no idea how I was gonna handle it. I had never, I had never done it before. It wasn't like they don't give you manuals on what to do when you have to put your dog down and I got very lucky again the hospital was fantastic it it didn't help I tried to go in with a brave face and make no mistake I had been crying since I had woken up but it didn't help that her entire nursing staff because they have regular staff that works with the same dogs over and over were crying when we came in it was like well you can't expect me to be strong for this if you're not being strong about it. Yeah. Um, but I guess uh, typically when a dog is put down, we're gonna I'm gonna kind of go as into detail as I can because I think it's important for people to understand, especially because so many people are scared to do it with their animal, and that is something that you owe them. If you, for a second, are out there listening and you think, "Oh, I'm gonna drop them off and that's gonna be it." I'm sorry, but you're a coward and you need to rethink that. It sucks. It's not fun, but it's one of those things. And it's honestly, as I'm like, I'm going to go through, it's not horrible, right? It's one of those things nobody wants to talk about. But I guess typically when a dog is put down, they're taken into the back into a, a sterile, a sterile room. And obviously you have the opportunity to go with them. Hint, hint, go with them. Uh, our oncologist's office was so sweet. They actually let my mom, my brother, my boyfriend at the time stay in one of the visiting rooms with Stella. They had already prepared it when we'd gotten there. It was dimly lit. There were candles going. There was a super soft comforter on the ground for her to lay on. So she didn't have to walk to the back. She didn't have to sit on a medical table. Uh, they walked us through the process. They explained to us how it was going to go. And essentially what it is, is it's two injections. Neither of them hurt at all. The first one, and I don't know the names of them, but the first injection essentially calms them down. It slows everything down. So it's not a jarring end. And then the second injection that they give puts them to sleep. And and that is that. 
So they explained it to us. They let us ask any questions that we had and they gave me as much time as was needed. And this is, this is one of the reasons I will recommend Calvet to anybody. I mean, they do more than just cancer as well. But if your dog has cancer and you are anywhere in California, they have different offices throughout the or throughout the state. I highly recommend them. Um, when it was time, Dr. Heller, who is, again, a, a world-renowned veterinary oncologist, came in with the injections and laid on the floor with Stella. It was she was laying on the ground. She was very tired and I was laying with her and he laid on the ground. He didn't worry about getting her into a perfect position. He was eye level with her. He talked to her. Um, he asked that everyone else move back. Obviously he said it should just be Stella and I, and gave her the first injection. Again, we'd been told that it was simply a numbing agent really. And I was holding Stella's paw and almost instantly immediately after getting that first injection I could feel her body relax and there was something about that that was so comforting I knew like I knew at that moment I was doing the right thing 100% and she looked up at me and she looked up at me and her eyes seemed clearer than they had been and it it made me realize how much stress she had been under right it just it confirmed that I had done the right thing and then they gave her the second injection and that was a little bit different (laughs) and i can still hear when i close my eyes his voice saying she's gone and uh i remember i remember everything i wish i i wish i didn't i uh i remember the smell of the room i remember that initial moment of panic when it hit me like I'd been heartbroken, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, but I think I had handled it okay up to that point. And just for whatever reason, hearing them tell me that she was gone and looking down at her, she just looked like she was sleeping. And knowing that she wasn't going to open her eyes just got me. And I pardon the emotions, obviously. Um, I think that that leads us, or at least it leads my story into the first step of the grieving process or what it was for me. And that was mass hysteria. And it's probably helpful <laughs> that we're talking about this now because looking back on it makes me laugh. Uh, it was not one of my shining moments as an adult. I would not get off the floor. I would not let go of my dog. And I'm fairly certain it was the first time I'd ever directed expletives at my mom. <laughs> it it was a uh, nobody knows what to say. She had had a huge impact on everyone. They were they were all sad, uh, but my boyfriend would not come near me. He like he would not come near me. He tried, and I I think I had tried to hit him again. Not one of my shining moments, but I I think it's worthwhile to point out that. While it is a very relaxing, thought-out process for the dog, they feel nothing. They go very happily. It's still very traumatizing. And I think it, oh gosh, it probably took five minutes of me rocking back and forth on the floor before my brother, who is the closest person in my life, um, to lift me up 
and walk me to the front because obviously like once you leave that's it you don't see them again and yeah it was it was tough my mom to to this day she goes I didn't know you had those words in your vocabulary (laughs) uh and it was because it was okay we need to go now like no no I'm not going yet and to be fair they would have probably let me stay in there all day but it does reach a point where it's not healthy and you have to process and you have to move forward and yeah it was freaking hard I obviously I still get emotional talking about it today I pulled out her ashes um so I have her right next to me and I'll I'll talk about that in a little bit but it's not easy it's it was she fought very hard um I'm pretty certain her doctor teared up the nurses were heartbroken she was just she's a little ray of sunshine and again it's not easy but it is something that I don't regret. I don't look back and think, oh, I wouldn't have felt this way if I didn't go with her until the very end. I think that's something that we're obligated to do for them. Um, it turns my stomach a little bit thinking that one day I'm going to have to do that with Bjorn. One day, 30, 40, 50 years in the future because <laughs> he's going to live that long. But but it, it, it's hard. and And it's honestly just the beginning it grieving for me I know this is one of the questions that that we had gotten to what you know how did you grieve how did you handle it how did you know um it was all over the place for me I don't think I followed any pattern from any of the websites and rest assured I googled all of them (laughs) I I thought it was going to be a four or five step process and I was going to be fine and it was going to be easy to calculate and maneuver and it it really wasn't and you can probably relate to this too i think it's hard losing a dog and i would honestly say sometimes it or in different capacities it's harder than losing a human for the sole reason of if people don't have a dog or if they don't have a dog with a super strong connection they don't understand People can usually empathize with the loss of a human. It's a lot easier to wrap your head around, but it's a little trickier for the loss of a dog. And that can sometimes come across as a little insensitive. And I speak from experience. I had people point blank tell me, yeah, but she's only a dog. (laughs) No, she's not a dog. And it's worth pointing out for anyone out there listening who has lost a dog or who is in the process of losing a dog when it's kind of becoming imminent it is okay to grieve not everyone is going to understand and that's that's okay and it's going to be different it's going to be different for everybody but I mean I think I can kind of go through through my steps and you would think going through chemotherapy I mean I there were days when I would drive home from work just crying right? You would think that I would have processed a little bit of what was going to happen that would prepare me for that grief moment, right? No, did not prepare me at all. Um, Like I said, I went through my mass hysteria phase. The next thing that happened, honestly, was something that I hadn't really read anything about. And I think it's worth noting because I felt so guilty when it happened. Obviously, 
I was sad and I was heartbroken. And that is, I almost don't even want to say that's a step because it doesn't go away. (laughs) I'm still heartbroken over her. I still miss her every single day. And I think it's just a matter of learning how to cope with that and learning how to channel it. But what I did feel the same day that she was put down, honestly, it happened fast and that's, it was fleeting, but it happened the afternoon after she was put down and that was relief. I'd woken up from a nap because I came home and I immediately went to sleep. And when I opened my eyes, there was this brief moment of it's over. And it's kind of like you've been inhaling for so long. And then there's that, there's that exhale. And I mean, it was sleepless nights. It was giving medicine at all hours. It was cooking four meals, taking her out sometimes twice every hour, cleaning up the vomit, cleaning up accidents. You know, I, I don't think I got a good night's sleep the entire time she had chemo because I would listen for her breathing while I slept. And if there was anything, if for whatever reason I fell into a deep sleep and I couldn't hear her breathing, I'd wake up. Got to make sure that everything's okay. And again, I'm only pointing it out because I felt so guilty for feeling that way and I felt like it was selfish. But I think it's the body's natural way of saying, okay, you got to breathe. At least in that situation, right? And I, so if you are feeling that or if you have felt that, that also is okay. Um, again, the sad, heartbroken phase, just, it was terrible at first. It was, there were times when I couldn't look at pieces of furniture in my house without, without seeing her, without thinking about her. Um, what I struggled with the most was I just felt lost. And I think it's because Stella was in all senses of the word, my baby. I'd had her since she was young. She went everywhere with me. She slept with me and add on to that. The last year of her life was spent taking care of her nonstop. And again, another, another side addition to that, my relationship wasn't in the best spot and he was kind of off doing his own thing. He was very supportive through Stella's thing, but he was very independent. And after Stella was gone, it went from all to nothing really fast. And I felt like I didn't have a purpose. I had no one to take care of. I didn't know what I was doing anymore. And that's a hard thing to go through. And as kind of a side note, and I guess is as part of a way to loop in when might be a good time to get a new dog, we'd been advised by a lot of people, veterinarians included, when Stella got diagnosed with lymphoma, they told us to get a puppy. And one of her doctors specifically told my boyfriend at the time, you need to get another dog because she's going to struggle. Apparently I was just easy to read, but (laughs) we, we didn't end up doing that. We opted not to, and I'm not upset with, with how my life is now, but I do wonder what having another dog at the time would have done for grieving, right? Because you, you still grieve, but then you've got that other dog to take care of and you've got distractions, right? I had nothing. I had nothing. Um, how did I know it was time? I, I wish I had a, a better answer for that. I didn't. I didn't know when was going to be the right time. After Stella, I thought I would never have a dog again. Nine times out of 10, I feel like people are going to say that. That's usually not the case. You will find another dog. You, you think that your heart is 
not going to mend and I felt that same way and then I was like oh maybe I just need to find another dog I'll just rescue a dog Stella's legacy will live on and everything's going to be good and I couldn't couldn't bring myself to do it actually I kind of struggled so in my brain I said okay I'm going to get a cat <laughs> never had a cat before had no idea what I was getting into but ended up adopting Aria my my little girl a couple months after Stella and easily the best decision I've ever made she is the the queen of my universe and she really she really helped I mean their cats are very independent so it wasn't exactly like having a dog but she's got very dog-like tendencies she greets me when I come home from work and she's very vocal and she likes belly rubs but for me as a caregiver it was just it was what I needed because I uh, that's what I was struggling with the most I was struggling with caring for something all hours of the day to just laying around and feeling sorry for myself which I did for a long time I mean I went back to work the next week my my job at the time was fantastic. They told me to take as much time as I had needed. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's hard. It's hard to say. And I don't want to be the person that tells you run out and get another dog. I've seen people that have gotten dogs almost immediately after. And it seems heartless. And I'm, I'm one of those people that judge. It's like, what you don't, you don't miss your other dog. And they do. But everyone has a different coping mechanism. And that's one of them. I probably really early on into Stella's cancer journey, I had joined a Facebook group for lymphoma dogs and it was people from all over the country and we kind of went back and forth with the different treatments that we were having and people who had lost dogs, people whose dogs had, you know, been in remission for 12 years. There was a, I think it was a Husky that had been in remission. She was almost 14 years old. It was just crazy. Although I can't imagine having a dog contract cancer at two years old either. That just makes my heart hurt. Yeah. Um, but those are also good resources too in terms of of when it's going to be time for you. You can kind of gauge based on your reactions to other people as well, like kind of what's in your head. I think sometimes the the snap judgments that we make are a good reflection of what we're internally thinking. And I waited almost two and a half years for Bjorn. Uh, I was in a relationship at the time that did not want another dog. And that could be for a plethora of reasons. But I chalk it up to the fact that he was struggling to cope and he didn't want to replace Stella. He didn't want to forget her memory. So that kind of plays a role as well. If you're in a, a relationship, how do you handle that? But for me, I, I got Aria and she was more than enough it was kind of it was was kismet really she looked just like she looked just like Stella they had very similar colors so I would there was a point after Stella had passed and you will relate to this I know I'm sure lots of other people who have had dogs pass will know I found that dog's hair for (laughs) years when I moved out of my condo two years after she had died I was still finding clumps of her hair. But it was funny because then I had Aria who was also shedding and I just had golden hairs everywhere. And I I only wear black. (laughs) I only wear black. So it was just like, oh, is this Stella's hair on me? Is this Aria's hair? Like, what is this? But 
there were little reminders. There were little reminders everywhere. Um, I feel, again, I feel like that's a cop-out answer to a pretty important question. I feel like you just know. I wouldn't write off never getting another dog. It's something that I initially did. I was very dramatic. and I will never love again. That's, that's not true. Um, and I think you owe it to the dogs that have left, have left us to carry on that love. There are dogs in shelters who have never felt that there are puppies who, if they don't go to a right home, will never, never feel that. Yeah. And I think you're a dog person. So you would definitely, uh, you know, once enough time has passed, you would get another dog. So, I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm the same way too, where when JJ passed, I didn't know when I was going to get another dog, but I knew that eventually I would. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your story. This is, I'm like, I probably have to turn my microphone off because I was like bawling <laughs> over here and I didn't want to make you cry. So I was trying to sniffle as like quietly as possible. <laughs> I've gone through about three Kleenex and I'm just eternally grateful. <laughs> I'm eternally grateful that this was not on video, honestly, because <laughs> it, it would not be pretty. It There were a lot of things when I wrote the initial outline, especially the day that I knew it was time and saying goodbye that I hadn't really spoken about in depth so this was one of the first times that I actually vocalized it mm-hmm. and it was harder than I thought it was going to be um yeah but I I think it's something that needs to be talked about and hopefully hopefully it helps somebody else I I think I have everything off my checklist in terms <laughs> of what's been asked of me other than like a couple tidbits that I'll I'll end with but you went through it as well. You lost JJ, but you had a, a very different experience than I did. I don't think there was such a long lead up. I think that's what makes my story just so frustrating because there was such a long fight leading up to it. But he had been, JJ had been sick for a while, right? Yeah. So it, it was, again, like you said, an entirely different scenario. He passed uh, a few days after his 13th birthday. So he lived a really long, good life. And um, just to back up a little bit, he was staying at my parents' house full time for about a year or so um, before he passed away, just because um, he had a very big fatty tumor on the side, um, his side, um, close to his heart. So it was inoperable. It wasn't anything that was um, cancer or anything, but it was very large. I would say it was like the size of a cantaloupe um, on the side of him. So he carried that around with him. And, you know, he was, like you said, as a golden, right? Super happy, tail wagging, just, uh, just, just a bun of joy, right? He would never show that he's in pain or anything. Um, so I you know, made the decision, of course, uh, with my parents that he would stay at my parents' house because they had a nice yard. Um, in and backyard front yard they didn't have he didn't have to live in my condo where there are like elevators or stairs so i just wanted him to have the best quality of life and that was with my parents because they work from home so that was kind of hard on me but as you said too like the relief right like yeah i i feel guilty saying that i was relieved that i wasn't his main caretaker 
um and I, and I feel still feel guilty that I did that but I think for him that was like the best option right and I think that that makes you a good person yeah honestly you might feel guilty but you're you're looking out for him right yeah I mean you kind of have to balance that right like I feel did I do it for you know his well-being or did I want to be more free with my schedule I don't know but I that was a decision we made and I think that was it it ended up being the best for him right so he was staying at my parents' house. They were my mom is like the best caretaker. My mom would cook him like healthy meals, fresh meals. He never got microwave meals. Um, <laughs> she will always cook for him, um, you know, every single meal. And I, so he's had some health issues, but nothing, nothing serious, nothing um, like cancer. But he had a lot of tumors benign tumors mostly um but the tumor that was on his chest it was getting really large and the vet you told us that if it ever got uncomfortable for him he will let us know too so i do have experience with the vet telling us you'll know when it happens um but uh, like you said i didn't know what that sign meant um i didn't really know like how he would tell me it's not like he's gonna just be like hey you know it's time not feeling it (laughs) yeah so i i think once he hit like age eight or nine or so i always thought of like the day i always like played it in my mind for some reason and i had different scenarios of him of how he would pass away it seems really dark, but it's just what happens when you have an older dog. Like and you, you don't know, too. Yeah. Like, it's it's completely uncharted territory. Right. Yeah, so once he hit double digits, it, it was like maybe once a day, like, I just thought about it in some way or another, right? And um, when he was 12 or so, he had some blood work issues, but nothing that was that was very serious and um the last so when he was staying at my parents house my dad would take him to the vet and my dad being you know the asian dad that he is he would shield me a lot of what the vet would tell him and i didn't find this out until after but apparently um so about a week or so before he passed my dad took him to the vet and they said that it it, it was his end and you can take him home today but you should kind of make uh, uh, make arrangements but I didn't know this my dad never told me Um, so I went on vacation and I had a great time in Iceland for like about eight days and I didn't know and I and I remember about two, three days into the vacation, I asked my parents for pictures and they, and my parents sent me a, a picture of my mom like holding him. And then, you know, I was like, oh, cute. Can't wait to be back. Stuff like that. And then for the rest of the vacation, I didn't ask for any more pictures, which is kind of, um, it, it was kind of out of character for me, but I don't know why I didn't ask for more pictures because usually I ask for pictures every single day. 
I don't know if it was like some kind of sixth sense, um, but I think when I knew something was wrong was when I came back and I was in the Uber back to my parents' house. I just felt like something was wrong. And then when I walked in the door, um, I looked around and then his bed was gone. Mm. So, and then I just like fell on the floor. I was like, what, where, what's, what's going on? I was like, I was like incoherent. Right? And I was like, what's going on? Where is he? And then my dad was like, uh, he passed like five days ago. Oh, and they didn't, they didn't tell me. And I think they made the right decision because like, there's nothing that I could have done on the other side of the world. Right. So, yeah, I think I, that's a tough position for your dad to have been in too. That's not a position I would envy. I think across the board, it's just, it's sucky. Yeah. And it's kind of, if you've um, watched the movie, The Farewell, um, it's about like an Asian girl, Aquafina. She goes back to China and she, um, her grandma is sick and the whole, whole family doesn't tell her the grandma that she's sick and i think it's that asian culture where you kind of don't want to burden other people with your sickness or with death it's just not something that's like really spoken about so i think my dad kind of brought that in um and he never really told me how sick he was so it's kind of um like i'm on the fence still about it it's like what i wanted to have been there I'm not sure. Would you have gone back? Would you have been able to have gone back, really? I don't know. And sometimes I feel like I'm thankful that he didn't give me that choice. Like, he didn't... I So I didn't know. So then, of course, I just finished my vacation, right? Um, but if he had told me, would I have gone back? I don't know. And and so, so the story went was um his birthday was august 11th and i haven't left yet so i left on august 12th and i made a big cake for him and i'll I'll share some photos he had he had a great birthday party um and then i made him a huge cake he ate like half of it and he just like fell asleep on the grass with like cake crumbs all over his face (laughs) (laughs) so funny and um so i left the next day and uh, a few days later, two days later, um, he was having seizures. Oh. So he w- he had seizures before, probably three years prior to his passing away, um, because he was eating another kibble that made him have seizures. And I, I didn't know this at the time. And oh once we switched his food, he stopped having seizures. Um, so once he started having seizures again, my dad... Of course, he knew from a week ago the the vet told him that he would like JJ would tell them what was going on. So he knew this and he called the vet and they came to the house to put him down. And the picture that my parents sent me of my mom holding him was the last picture that they took. And I didn't uh, yeah, and I didn't know this and I was like, "Oh, great picture. Thanks." you know and i didn't know anything at the time so they kind of went through like the the whole end holding him all that stuff and 
they opted to not um, have, give his ashes back. And so they made all the arrangements at the end, and I just, I just skipped through all that part. So the, the kind of feelings that you talked about, I didn't go through any of them. I just came home to an empty house. I, I struggle to to think about what's worse. Honestly, I yeah. there's a part of me that that envies you, and then there's a part of me that is like, would I have wanted that if that was an option? Yeah, and I ask myself that a lot, but I still don't know because I would have been like a huge mess. I would replay like his last seconds probably like over and over and over. So I'm kind of like happy that I didn't know what he looked like at the end, but also it's like he, like I wasn't there, right? So yeah, that's it. That's a tough one yeah yeah so it um afterwards you know i was definitely super upset um and luckily i i I had nick at the time too we just started you know seeing each other um so you know i it was helpful for me to talk to um somebody who was very empathetic and knew what i was going through and um a few weeks after that i went up to see him and then you know of course i got to know kramer and that really helped me um but it was many months where like i cried every single day like once a day i would tear up and he died august 14th and i remember um halloween we went to like a Halloween party in Portland. It was like a nice weekend trip. It was romantic. It was fun. I get to hang out with all of Nick's friends. And then out of nowhere at this like warehouse party, I just like broke down and started crying like while waiting for the bathroom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I, I can like, relate to that I'm so like, hard. I don't even know what's going on. We're not even talking about dogs. We're not even doing anything we're just enjoying the music you know we're all dressed up and i'm just like i can't do it i can't do it and you know i just like broke down for no reason i had one of those episodes i had one of those episodes at my ex's christmas party so stella passed in august and and i had done a pretty good job of putting on a very brave face in front of friends and family and we went to his company Christmas party and I had a little bit too much to drink and I was fine. I drank my vodka like a champion, walked out to the car. No one probably would have known I was drunk and we were probably halfway. It was an hour ride home, halfway home. And I just started bawling hysterically. And my ex is like, what is your problem? Are you, is this like drunk crying? And it was just, I miss Stella. He's like, where on earth? Because we weren't even like, there's two completely different life planes right now. Yeah. But it. It just hits you when it hits you. And that's, uh, that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's normal. It's going to be back and forth. It's not an easy thing to navigate. Everybody's different. If I could say one thing, I would say, don't try to compare yourself to the list online. There are tons of what to do when you lose a dog. And I I had no luck with any of them. If you've had great luck, like 
best of best of everything to you but I I didn't follow that at all and I would also say you have to look back on things with a a sense of humor too it was something that I tried to do early on in Stella's diagnosis and there's there's one situation and I I had talked to you about it earlier I have toyed back and forth with if I want to share it or not I by nature have a very very macabre sense of humor and I look at death a little bit differently well I looked at death differently until I lost Stella that changed a lot of things for me but early on in her diagnosis the prognosis was garbage it got better through time and then she she went out of remission but early on we weren't sure we were going to have her for three months and she came to work with me all the time and we were driving in my car and I love Queen it's one of my favorite bands and their song another one bites the dust came on and I started singing it to Stella who obviously has no idea what I'm saying but I'm telling her oh this is your song Just joking <laughs> right and I thought it was funny because she was all she knew is that I was singing to her she loved it and she's getting pet she's getting attention we're stuck in rush hour traffic told my mom who was absolutely horrified <laughs> made a joke about it with friends absolutely horrified and I mean I just stopped sharing that that story with people even even when I was talking to Nico about it before recording this episode he goes just don't don't put that out there into the universe please but it's one of those moments whenever that song comes on and I kind of run into the same problem though whenever that song comes on I smile because it makes me think of Stella and every once in a while someone will catch it and they'll go oh do you like this song and like there's always this moment of word vomit where I'm like oh yeah it reminds me of my dead dog <sighs> you're like I, like, shouldn't like, you're like I shouldn't have said that you're like I should have said Queen is one of my favorite bands <laughs> like I I love this song but I think that was another coping mechanism that helped me is you have to look at the good things you have to realize that you know part of my language losing a dog is shitty and there's really nothing you can do to make it better but you got to find those those little easter eggs you have to smile at things when when i collected stella's paw print they did the clay paw print for her um that they gave to us when we collected her ashes which i am not even going to go into detail with that experience because that was almost more emotional than putting her down was picking her up from the doctor's office and bringing her back home but in the middle of what was my second mass hysteria moment bawling inside my car after i'd picked her up i looked at the paw print the paw imprint that they had given me and and I have pictures of it. I have it in front of me right now. It's still intact. Um, we can share it on Instagram. This dog left her hairs in the imprint. <laughs> like if any, no, like it, and it was always funny because again, I wear all black. So the running joke was, oh, there's a Stella hair. And I was really upset. I was just so, so sad that I was holding my dog in a box. And then I, I look at the paw print and it's super sweet. And then I'm like, wait, what is this? I was like, are you serious? And they're they're still there today. I, I look at them and I finally reached a point where I can I can look at it and smile, right? I can look at it and remember those times. I I found clumps of her hair when I moved out of my condo years later and it was like this dog. 
this dog, man. Um, I still find I still find clumps of her hair in in pieces of clothing. I have a a necessary amount of clothes, so there are clothes that I don't wear continuously. But I'll unpack things from boxes, and there's clumps of her hair, and it's you know half the size of my cat. So I know it's not coming from Aria, but there's there's always those little reminders, and I think it's it's important to remember the eye roll moments, remember the face palm moments, remember the funny moments. And that, that really helps you cross that road. And that's going to help you. You're never going to fully heal. There's always going to be a part of you that is, that is sad and that is broken and that's okay. But remembering the good times and remembering the funny times is what's going to help you cross that bridge and maybe open your heart to another dog. Or, you know, maybe you want to try getting a cat or maybe you just want to be able to look back and smile instead of being sad. And I think that at least for me, that's pivotal. Maybe you don't need to talk about how another one bites the dust reminds you of your, your past animal, but there's, there's always going to be something. Yeah. I think for me, definitely it's just the passing of time. You know, time is just what heals me. I think of course, like sometimes when we get like talk about this and days like today where we were talking about losing a dog where I'm like nonstop crying, but um, usually now, like when I think of JJ and like when I tell people about him or, or just think of, um, talk about stories, I, I don't get emotional. Um, it's mostly about joking, uh, and the good times. And he was a very difficult dog. I mean, I look at, <laughs> I look at Brady and I, and I always see she's a turd, but she is a fantastic dog. And JJ like did not listen to me. He would, he would know what I would tell him to do, and he would just figure out a way to just not listen to me, and you know like laugh in my face basically. Like um, <laughs> he loved to eat cat poop. It was disgusting. Oh, so, Bjorn does that too. Yeah, and I would tell him no, don't eat it, and then he would. Um, pretend to go sniff something else in the opposite direction and then I'll be like oh you know come on let's go and I would I would get distracted and then when I get distracted or I'm looking at something else he'll like spin around and then eat the cat poop and then it's he'll like, like what are you smile. chewing yeah he, he'll smile at me like hey I got you <laughs> like here let me give you a kiss let me breathe on your face yeah he was impossible. There are days when like he would not want to finish his walk. So he would just sit in the grass and not move. Like there was nothing I could have done to make him move. Like I couldn't even carry him home. He would just lay on the ground. I mean, just like the most difficult dog of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Well, I know this was a heavy one. I'm appreciative of anyone who's gotten this far i think we're far over an hour in at this point but it's never easy it's never fun but we would love to hear your stories as well and hopefully some of this helped you a it's it's less factual obviously it's more of what we've gone through but we're always available for questions your veterinarians are always a good sounding board too but i mean again send those dms send the emails you can reach out to us on social we're here for you yeah and uh, next week we'll come back with a lighter topic of dating with dogs so we'll have some funny stories (laughs) dating in general is always fun but dating with dogs is 
that will be fun. Dating sucks. I didn't really like dating. It, it was a lot of confusion yeah. for me. Yeah, in the dating beginning. was a rough one. Yeah, well, in the beginning where I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't, <laughs> you know, when people say, I, you need to know your worth. So I didn't really know that in the beginning and that kind of sucked. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it worked out for her. She's I, married. Okay. I did okay. <laughs> so if you want to boop that follow button, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Dog Mom Podcast and our website at www.zippypaws.com backslash Dog Mom Podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye.